Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us. Wow, what a week. Lots of news. We have a busy, busy show here at Midweek. We're going to be talking with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. He testified before a House uh, committee yesterday uh, looking at the proposal that would uh, take the place of the RFS, uh, looking at uh, providing high octane, a lot of concerns by the renewable fuels industry. We'll talk about that. We have a new Waters of the U.S. rule out. Don Parrish with the American Farm Bureau Federation will go over that with us, and we'll get reaction to the Farm Bill and WOTUS from the Ag Retailers Association a little bit later on. But right now, we're very happy to have with us the chairman of the House Agriculture Committee, Congressman Mike Conaway, to talk about the Farm Bill. Mr. Chairman, thank you for joining us. Michael, good to be on with you this morning. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Well, the Senate beat you to it. They voted yesterday and passed the Farm Bill, 87 to 13. Uh, understand that the, the House may vote on it today. Is that right? Well, that's right. We'll be voting on it later on this afternoon. And uh, certainly appreciate the big vote in the Senate. That uh, That's helpful on our side of the building to uh, uh, to see those senators that are supportive of, of uh, rural America and, uh, and our farmers and ranchers out there that uh, – so desperately need the assurance that this farm bill will give them for the next five years of what our federal policies will look like, what the safety net will look like. And so uh, way to go, Senate. And uh, now I've got to uh, get my House colleagues to uh, to do the same this afternoon. You feel confident? Uh, we hear uh, there will be a lot of Democrats that will vote for it. What are you hearing on your side of the aisle? Well, we're good, I think. Uh, I've got those uh, – I played a lot of football games in my life, Michael, and uh, you always got pregame jitters, and I've got those uh, butterflies in my stomach right now. But uh, you're pending this afternoon. We think everything's fine, but until those green lights go up on the board behind the speaker's head, and, and the number gets to 218 or north of 218, then uh, I'm going to be uh, you know anxious about it. Uh, nothing specific other than just it's not done yet. But I I think we're there. Uh, a lot of work, a lot of hard work has gone into getting this place. This is a good bill for rural America, uh, the, the safety net, the conservation titles, the rural development pieces, which is what we've been fighting for the most, and right, quite frankly, where the last titles closed out. I know a lot of conversation about SNAP, but this really wasn't so much about SNAP as it was the rest of the farm bill, and, and I'm proud of the House version. I'm proud of where we wound up. As you look at the bill, you'll see House fingerprints over on all of it, uh, no, no more so than, uh, than what we did with Title One and Title Two, particularly. It's been described, though, as closer to the Senate version than your House version. How do you react to that? Well, if you're thinking about uh, just SNAP, maybe you can make that comment, but that's not real. Uh, you, get to, you get the bill out. You look at what we did on Title I, uh, the, uh, uh, the yield update, that uh, there's a big piece of it. Uh, the House version of it started that process. Um, we uh, heard that it was uh, too narrow, and so we restroked it. Uh, the House restroked it, the House offer. Uh, to make that a nationwide yield update for uh, uh, for all producers in the country, uh, you look at the uh, other pieces of Title One that are there. Those uh, uh, those were House initiatives and ones we fought for to keep uh, in the uh, in the House bill uh, on the uh, conservation title side. House dramatically increased uh, funding for Equip. That's still in the bill. Uh, we did keep CSP, uh, but a, a slice of that would now go to. Uh, the pay for out of Title I was looking at acres that had uh, had been in grass for 10 years since 2009. Uh, that gave Chairman Roberts a uh, you know, heartburn, and so we the House restroked that effort to say, all right, how do we uh, how do we accommodate 
taking those acres out of Title I for just this farm bill. They're still base acres. They still maintain that, that, uh, that status. They just can't participate in ARCA PLC. How do we then uh, help those folks cope with that? Well, the House idea was to create a, uh, a program under the, under CSP that will allow those acres to participate there instead of being under Title I. So um, depends on who you're asking or who's making that comment as to what kind of self-aggrandizement is going on. But uh, quite frankly, I'm proud of the House product. I'm proud of this bill. and I'm proud of the House influence that uh, across all titles that, uh, that you can see. And so, you know, I'm not sure any of us get uh, – uh, at the end of the day, Michael, good ideas have many fathers, but uh, I'm proud of what we've done. And if if, so, if other people need to thump their chest uh, for whatever reason because they think that uh, maybe they – I don't know. But, but right now, we get this thing done. Folks in rural America will be benefited across the board, whosever idea it was. Uh, but I'm proud of the House influence on the bill. For all the debate, for all the wrangling over SNAP, in the end, you really did not make the, that many changes. Uh, how did you get to this point? Well, we lost the House of Representatives in, uh, in November. That was uh, the final you know, nail in the coffin uh, in terms of leverage that I got. But we do make good, positive changes to SNAP uh, on the program integrity side. Uh, 18 of the 21 provisions there have, uh, have their origins in the House bill. And so... Uh, what we do there is we do uh, you know, work towards strengthening the uh, program integrity. One of the things that, that all of our social welfare programs suffer from is, is uh, perceived cheating among the people who are paying for it. Uh, and SNAP is one of the, the, the easiest for people to see when they see folks using a, an EBT card and then they go out and get in a big car or whatever. So uh, program integrity is, in, is important to maintaining the support for these programs by the folks who pay for that. And you look at what we've done uh, in, the, in the SNAP titles. Uh, if it were a standalone bill uh, as a, uh, a you know, process reform bill, I think everybody would vote for it. So there are good things there that, that uh, came out of the, uh, 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 of the House bill. We also strengthen our, our, our food aid programs uh, through the nutrition title you know, outside you know, the rest of the world. So good things in the, in, in the bill. But uh, uh, you know, once, we lost, once Republicans lost control of the House for the next Congress, then I no longer had any kind of a threat that we would start over next year. And so the reality was that we got what we could. Uh, I think you'll see uh, uh, Secretary Purdue uh, be able to begin to work on uh, the waiver issue that uh, uh, soon, and that will uh, that will help uh, you know, the pro- with the program itself. But what we actually do at SNAP uh, is positive. Now, if folks want to vote against something because of what's not in the bill, I understand that, but that's a bit of a, uh, you know, where do you where do you draw that line? We don't cure cancer in this bill either. And so if you're demanding that cancer be cured, then you're not going to vote for this one either. But uh, they're good things to uh, to improve SNAP. We're talking with the chairman of the House Agriculture Committee, Congressman Mike Conaway. What's your biggest disappointment in the bill? Um, my, uh, well, I mean, obviously the SNAP side, I think what we did there, what we do give up by, by not being able to, to amend it the way we did is we don't improve the ENT process the way that we had had hoped to. Those dollars would have gone to, to assisting people get themselves out of the circumstances they find themselves in. We're not longer going to be able to harvest those dollars and make that happen. So of the millions of people out there who would have benefited from uh, the education training, the supported work, the apprenticeships, all those things that would have come about as a result of us pouring significant dollars into that program, uh, that's not going to happen. But that aside, I'm hard-pressed to uh, – uh, to talk, use the word disappointment anywhere. I'm, I'm proud of the bill. I'm excited about what's in it, what we're going to do, and the impact it'll have on uh, on helping rural America moving forward. And uh, have you received a word that the president will sign it? I, I believe so. We'll get our work done uh, today. Uh, the, the back office guys will 
go through the price. Myra, if you know this, we actually put this the bills on parchment paper, real expensive paper, to uh, to take down to the White House for signing. And so uh, all that work will get done, and, and uh, it should be available for the president to sign next week. And, and I've got all the confidence in the world he'll sign it. Well, it's been a long journey, and you're finally to the finish line. Mr. Chairman, thank you for all your work on this, and thank you for being with us today to, to talk about this new farm bill. Thank you so much. Well, Michael, thanks. It's been a labor of love, and, uh, and we're almost there, and we'll get there later on this afternoon. Very good. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Mike. Chairman of the House Agriculture Committee, Chairman Mike Conaway, with uh, his thoughts on the farm bill that will go up for a vote in the House, expected to pass this afternoon, then on to the president. Uh, for his signature. Again, the Senate passed it yesterday by a vote of 87 to 13. All right. Uh, a lot going on with renewable fuels. Some interesting testimony yesterday by Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. He joins us next on AOA. Over the holiday season, you know there are so many pleas out there for assistance from one organization or another. All of them do good work. We're asking you not to forget us. Every child deserves a little Christmas. Every year since 1947, the U.S. Marine Corps Reserve Toys for Tots program has been out there collecting toys for millions of deserving children, children who otherwise would go without at this most joyous time of year. The Toys for Tots website is the starting point to find one of our campaign sites. It's toysfortots.org. That's really simple. Toysfortots.org. All one word. Toysfortots.org. There you'll be able to find out how to donate directly to a local campaign or register for assistance. Toysfortots.org. All you need to remember. Toysfortots.org. Delivering hope since 1947. What does Meals on Wheels do? They deliver meals and smiles to homebound seniors. But Meals on Wheels does something else. They turn a volunteer's lunch break into a meaningful experience. As small and as simple as the relationship is between a volunteer and a client of Meals on Wheels, it's really so impactful. I never thought that five minutes could make so much difference in the lives of two people, but it has. Drop off a warm meal and get more than you expect. Volunteer at americaletsdolunch.org. That's americaletsdolunch.org. Brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. Did you know you can listen to the latest podcast of Adams on Agriculture or hear the top news and weekend review from the American Ag Network on your Amazon Alexa? Play my flash briefing. Use the Alexa app to search for the podcast you want to play. Search for Adams on Agriculture to learn about the issues affecting agriculture each weekday. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Again. Or you can search for the American Ag Network. This is the American Ag Network Week in Review. I'm Sabrina Hill. Stay up to date on agriculture with the sound of your voice on your Amazon device. All right, guys, we're ready for our four-season sunroom, and Daddy's going to get a rec room with refreshments. Oh, no, we'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what about the one with, you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro. It's a gym, my gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her Four Seasons garden room. Weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait, a family hub. Yeah. No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. More reasons for Four Seasons now. To 
find out more, call toll-free 800-988-4477. That's 800-988-4477. Call 800-988-4477 today. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. A proposal to replace the renewable fuel standard with a high-octane standard is not being well-received by the biofuels industry. Before a U.S. House of Representatives Committee, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, Jeff Cooper, explained why that would not be a good uh, a good replacement, and he joins us now. Jeff, thanks for being with us. What is your concern with this high-octane proposal? Well, thanks for having me, Mike, and, and certainly... You know, you would think that any move or any effort toward a higher octane fuel standard in, in this country would be good for ethanol because ethanol is, of course, the highest octane, cleanest octane, lowest cost octane source on the market. Uh, but what uh, uh, Congressman Shimkus from Illinois and, and Representative Flores from Texas proposed was a 95 RON octane standard, and that's basically the, the, the same level of octane that we see with our premium gasoline today. Um, and so refiners, you know, could, could meet that standard uh, really without blending a drop more ethanol. Uh, and certainly in the absence of a renewable fuel standard, they would choose hydrocarbon octane sources, their own octane sources that they're making at the refinery, uh, things like aromatics that are, are you know, highly toxic in many cases and, and worse for air quality. Um, and so that was really the, the the message that I delivered at the hearing yesterday is, you know, we're, we're all for more octane and, and higher octane gasoline. We think there are significant benefits that could come from that, uh, but we're not going to support a high octane fuel standard uh, in lieu of the RFS. Uh, let's Let's do both. Yeah, it really, it seems this proposal... Uh, gets completely away from the the intent of the RFS, and that is to make sure that we uh, support and uh, and grow a domestic renewable fuels industry. Well, that's right, and and you know we we analyzed uh, this proposal in in detail, and and others did as well. And the Energy Information Administration actually did a study uh, looking at what would how would the refining sector react or respond to this sort of uh, sort of program, a 95 RON octane standard, and, and what that study found is there is underutilized octane producing capacity in the refining sector today that could easily be ramped up to, to meet this standard, and, and refiners would very likely continue, you know, uh, making E10, uh, but certainly wouldn't be uh, looking to ethanol for that extra octane boost. And so, again, without some sort of, of greenhouse gas requirement or, or some sort of environmental performance metric, you know, we're, we're quite certain that uh, refiners left to their own devices uh, would choose the octane that they're making in the refinery uh, to meet a higher octane fuel standard and, and not ethanol. We're talking with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff, this just seems to be a, 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 the latest attempt to do away with the RFS. Well, it, it did seem a little bit like an end around, and that's why we've we've never been able to support um, this, this concept. There were some things in the draft legislation that that we actually did like, um, 
but overall, uh, you know, it's it's really hard to get past that poison pill that would kill the RFS in, in 2023. You know, a, a lot of people uh, don't understand that the, the renewable fuel standard does not end in 2022. That just happens to be the last year that Congress provided explicit uh, direction to EPA in terms of the volumes. Uh, so 2023 and beyond, uh, EPA is still required to set volumetric requirements for renewable fuels, including corn ethanol. Um, so, so the program doesn't end. And, and so, uh, you know, we're, we're not uh, going to support any sort of legislation that, that kills off the program. Uh, you know, the, the, the argument is, well, you know, don't you want some certainty around what those volumes look like post-2022? And, and, of course, we, we would uh, be interested maybe in, in uh, looking at statutory proposals that, that maybe specify volumes beyond 2022, but that's not what this package did. It, it, it killed uh, those volumes and ended the RFS uh, after 2022, and we just can't support that. How do you explain then to people just looking at it from the outside and say, now, wait a minute, are you, is your industry then afraid to compete? I mean, if it, if it opens it up to higher octane fuels, uh, are you, do you think you cannot compete with uh, other uh, products that would be on the market? How do you explain to people why this could potentially just leave the renewable fuels, the ethanol industry, out of the market? Yeah, I mean, we are certainly not afraid of, of competition, Mike, and, and, and you know that. And, and I think if we were in an, a truly open and free market where competition was driving uh, the, the marketplace and, and consumers had a choice, um, we absolutely would be seeing more ethanol used. I mean, today we're, we're 25, 30 cents under gasoline. We're about half the price of some of those other octane sources that are made at the refinery. Um, so, you know, in a truly open and free market, the consumer is always going to choose the product that is lower cost, is, is lower emitting, better for the environment, uh, and is made domestically. Uh, but that's not happening because we don't have a truly open and free market. Um, if we did, we'd be seeing every station in reformulated gasoline areas selling E15 today. Uh, again, because E15 is 5 to 10 cents cheaper um, and there's no RVP restriction in those areas of the country, so you know they could sell it year-round, uh, but we're not seeing that. So really the, the RFS is the mechanism or the tool that, that guarantees that we do have access uh, to a market that is otherwise closed to competition. And so that's why we think the RFS you know, could work in concert with a high-octane fuel standard, and, and, and having the RFS as a backstop would make sure that refiners – do choose ethanol and choose the renewable octane source uh, to, to meet that higher octane fuel standard. Uh, in the absence of the RFS, they're not going to do that. Yeah, the very reason that this new proposal really wouldn't work is the same reason as why we needed the RFS in the first place, right? Uh, because, uh, as you said, the it sounds good to say let the, the marketplace uh, determine, but yep. that's not a fair and open uh, marketplace. No, it isn't, Mike, and, and we've seen examples of this same thing happen in the past. In, in 1990, Congress adopted the Clean Air Act amendments, and that established the oxy-fuels program and a requirement to oxygenate our, our gasoline. Uh, and, and so the ethanol industry at that time thought, oh, that's great. Ethanol is 35% oxygen. We will be th that oxygen of choice that gets used by refiners to meet this requirement. Well, guess what? They invented MTBE, right? Uh, and so they were oxygenating their fuel with, with a product that they were making in their refineries. They were not using ethanol, even though ethanol was lower cost and, and better for the environment. So 
we've seen this. We, we know how this works, and we've seen it play out before, and, and that's why we're uh, approaching this with, with skepticism and, and caution. Where does this go from here? Well, you know, I, I think everybody understands, even even the, the, the two sponsors of this uh, discussion draft, uh, that this is, you know, this bill isn't going anywhere. I mean, we're, we're in the waning days of, of the 115th Congress, and, and there's going to be new leadership on this uh, House Energy and, and Commerce Committee next, uh, you know, in, in January. And, and so uh, they know this proposal isn't going anywhere. Um, but I, I think it is maybe the first step in a conversation uh, that could continue in, in the next Congress about, you know, where do we go with, with future energy policy post-2022? And, and, and can we do th- some things to add more certainty to the path for the renewable fuel standard beyond 2022? And, and just more certainty that there's going to continue to be growth in the marketplace for ethanol and other biofuel producers. It just seems like uh, uh, whether it's a congressional committee or whoever – should bring both sides together on this, the oil industry and the renewable fuels industry, and, and let's just sit down and work out uh, a vision for post-2022. Yep, and, and that was really the, the original intention of, of this whole process. This was actually the fifth or sixth hearing in a, in a series that had been um, put together by, by Chairman Shimkus, and, and he had had several roundtables, and, and so, you know, the, the idea was to do exactly that. Uh, unfortunately, the, the end product... Um, didn't you know represented more of what the oil guys wanted and, and far less of what we were asking for um, so we, we, we couldn't support it uh, but it, it did start a conversation and I do think that there are uh, there are going to be continuing discussions and, and conversations about the long-term uh, you know liquid fuels policy that this country needs to adopt uh, beyond 2022 and and um, you know we, we have lots of things to think about and lots of things to talk about and, and this you know, if nothing else, this did start that discussion. Yeah, I mean, there are some big questions. What does uh, the fuel policy look like beyond 2022? As you mentioned, uh, the RFS doesn't go away, but it, things are going to change after 2022. Well, yeah, that's that's right. Um, you know, EPA has more discretion to set the volumes after 2022, um, and it isn't really clear how, how they would approach that. And, and, of course, much of that will depend on, Who's in the White House, and and who's the administrator at EPA in that time frame, and and what are the dynamics in the you know the agricultural economy and and the fuel markets, and so th- there is some uncertainty that uh, you know nobody likes uncertainty, um, and so we can agree that um, you know sitting down and having a conversation right. about long term makes sense. That's Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Thanks, Jeff. All right, thank you, Mike. Stay with us. More to come on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. I can't believe he found them. He seems sorry. We very clearly told him not to look up there. I'm honestly impressed that he was able to do it. Right? What did he balance on that big chair? 
he'll just know what his gifts are this year. I really thought we had hidden them well. If they can find their presence, they can find a gun. 911, what is your emergency? Every day, eight kids and teens are unintentionally killed or injured by loaded and unlocked guns. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and N Family Fire. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. U.S. stocks opened higher on Wednesday. Global stocks gaining ground on a fresh wave of trade optimism and climbing oil prices. Shrugging off a leadership challenge against U.K. Prime Minister Theresa May, lawmakers in the U.K.'s ruling Conservative Party initiating a no-confidence vote against Mrs. May. Statements from President Trump that China is buying tremendous amounts of soybeans appear to be instilling some optimism into the grain markets on this Wednesday morning. Widespread rumors that state-owned Chinese companies are buying 5 to 8 million tons of soybeans out of the Pacific Northwest for state reserves. On USDA's Daily Wire, 130,632 tons of soybeans sold to Mexico, 110,000 tons sold to unknown destinations. Egypt's state grain buyer received at least eight offers in its latest wheat tender, with Russian grain making up most of the offers, according to traders on Wednesday. Among the few market changes in Tuesday's new WASDI report, USDA raised production estimates for Brazil's soybean crop to 122 million metric tons, Argentina's to 55 and a half. Soybean futures an hour into the day, a dime to 12 cents higher, January at 926 and three quarters, up 11 and three quarters. March corn up two and a half at 387 and a quarter. Minneapolis wheat March at 578 and three quarters, up three and a half. Chicago wheat March up five and a half at 526 and a half. Kansas City March at 510 and three quarters, up six cents. Livestock at the Merck and live cattle futures, a narrow mix, 40 cents on either side of steady, 15 cents on either side of steady in feeder cattle, 17 cents on either side of steady in lean hogs. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. I'm Rusty Halverson. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day. Because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, the Trump administration has finally released the long-awaited new Waters of the U.S. rule. Here to tell us about it is Don Parrish, Senior Director, Regulatory Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. All right, Don, you've looked at it. What do you think? Well, Mike, I believe it provides some clarity that farmers and ranchers are looking for. It provides some common sense that that hopefully, from the standpoint of farmers kind of going out across their farms and being able to know what is a water and what is not a water, is um, is had a good day yesterday. 
Now, I've seen some criticism, some saying uh, there's a lack of specifics, a lack of definitions, and that uh, this is going to um, you know, cause more uncertainty. Do you agree with that? You know what, Mike, I've looked at the proposal, and it is clearly much more precise in its definitions than what was done in 2015. I also think it, it, it provides, at least from the federal government standpoint, a real clear line in the sand as to what is a federal water and what is a state water. And what I want to emphasize to you is I think, you know, your listeners need to be assured that all water is going to be regulated and all water is going to be protected because everybody cares about the quality of our nation's waters. But clearly, this whole issue of, you know, what is a federal water, what is a state water, uh, what is a, you know, what is a tributary, what is an adjacent wetland, all of those are going to be so much more understandable. Farmers are going to be able to know what's jurisdictional and what isn't. I mean, it's, it's really a step in the right direction. I've seen it described, the reaction being ag groups like it, environmental groups don't like it. Uh, is, I mean, is it that clear cut? You know, I think the environmental groups are going to take this this proposal as an opportunity to raise an ungodly amount of money. Uh, they're going to try to scare the public uh, into thinking that their water isn't protected. But if you look at the black and white, it is going to be easy for farmers to understand. And believe me, a rule that is easy to understand and easy to administer will lead to clean water. So I think it is almost as simple as do you want a big federal reach and basically erase any protections or issues associated with the land issues at the state level, or do you want, or do you want something that is clear and that there's a full understanding of what is federal and state I think you've got it in this proposal. We're talking with Don Parrish with the American Farm Bureau Federation about the new Waters of the U.S. rule. Don, could you give us some examples of how this rule is easier to understand and clears up some of the uh, problem areas of the old rule? Well, it, 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 we're still going through it, Mike, and there's going to be a lot of a lot of things that kind of fall out of it. This is not going to be an easy proposal to get through. It is. It is complicated, but just from the standpoint of understandability, uh, the first big bucket of waters is what is known as traditional navigable, and that really is, you know, the important waters that we all know, the Mississippi River, the Columbia, the, the Missouri, all of those. And then they also describe tributaries. Tributaries are described as, as any water that flows 24-7, 365, and then intermittent waters that flow at least seasonally. All of those are going to be waters of the U.S. Uh, the good news, by definition, anything that flows after a rainfall or only after a rainfall is out. So it is pretty clear that things that are aquatic in nature are going to be protected. Anything that, that you know, where rainfall hits the surface of the earth and then ultimately runs off, those aren't. Because if it's if the flow in those those features are only a result of rainfall events, they're not going to be regulated. Uh, they retain, you know, importantly for agriculture, uh, prior converted croplands uh, exemptions. Those aren't waters of the U.S., so they are really clear, and I think they've really, you know, taken an opportunity to give the public something that is common sense. Any areas you wish they'd have uh, done differently? 
You know, we're still going through it, Mike. Uh, we may have a few of those, obviously. Uh, I'm, I'm confident that we're probably going to want them to do, you know, maybe refine some of the, some of the, the you know, the issues, you know, in certain areas around, the, you know, intermittent streams. But uh, I think it is a pretty clear definition and one that clearly, you know, it, it really does give farmers kind of comfort that the Clean Water Act is, is there to regulate water and aquatic resources, and it kind of gets the federal government out of pushing the limits of using the Clean Water Act to regulate land use. Talking with Don Parrish with the American Farm Bureau Federation about the new waters of the U.S. rule. Now, uh, as we've been saying for some time, and you've been warning us, look for this to go to the courts, right? You know, we're going to have a comment period. Uh, the federal government is going to consider what those comments are, uh, and then ultimately they'll finalize the regulation. And just like the old rule that is still being litigated in the courts, uh, the rule that was finalized by the Obama administration in 2015, this this rule will ultimately probably see action in the courts. We've got to expect that. But the one thing that is kind of one of the principles that this administration has had in this EPA, Mr. Wheeler, uh, Administrator Wheeler, Wheeler talked about it yesterday, as well as Administ Assistant Administrator Ross, uh, they talked about having a legally defensible rule. And I believe they probably hit the sweet spot on that. And I am very confident that that this rule is going to withstand uh, court challenge, and they're going to do everything they can to make sure that it, it the procedure, the process, as well as the policy gets right this time. You know, the thing that concerns me about that, Don, when you say legally defensible, it, it, it could really look that way, but a lot of times doesn't it uh, come down to which court you wind up in? Mike, uh, you're, you're, you're right, and it really could. But ultimately, what we're talking about is a rule that makes its way all the way to the Supreme Court. And and again, we think that once you you do things properly, uh, we're going to expect you know either the the 2015 rule, the Obama rule, is going to make its way. We're, we expect that rule to ultimately make its way to the Supreme Court, and we expect this rule at some point to make its make its way to the Supreme Court. And and given the makeup of that court right now, we're we're at least guardedly optimistic. So where are we today? We have an old rule that's still being litigated. Uh, some parts of the country have are in a different jurisdiction than others, as far as which rule they're under. Now we have a new rule. It's really getting more confusing at this point. Though, what do people, landowners, need to keep in mind about uh, their current situation? Um, a really good question, and thank you for asking that question, because th there are 22 states right now that are having to implement uh, the 2015 Obama rule. And my advice to farmers and ranchers is if you can avoid your project that needs a federal permit until after we get resolution to, you know, the 2015 rule, and we think that's going to happen sometime in, in 2019, uh, I would encourage farmers to, to avoid those. Uh, the last thing you want is the burden of uh, and the cost of having to get a permit if you don't need one, and particularly in these ephemeral areas. And, and I would just encourage farmers to be very careful with those projects. Don't do anything that, that is questionable. I mean, leave those excavators at home unless you ask for core and EPA approval first. 
And, you know, if you got to do those projects, do them, but, but make sure you know what you're doing before you do it. And, and then lastly, uh, you know, I think, you know, the courts are going to move these issues along fairly quickly. I think at some point in 2019, not only is this rule going to be out there for comment, but there was a supplemental to withdraw the 2015 rule. I believe this administration is going to finalize that regulation sometime in 2019. We're going to be encouraging them to, and hopefully that brings some clarity to farmers and ranchers and anybody else that has to get permits. Clarity, certainty is clearly high on our agenda, and we want to make sure that happens. I think you were the first person to tell me, and this was right around election time, <laughs> the presidential election. You were, I think, the first one to tell me, remember that this is a process of changing this rule, and it may be a lengthy process. This is a big step, the, the, getting the new rule, but it's still another step in the process. That's correct. And in, from our standpoint, uh, EPA needs to be commended. They need to be commended by asking the right questions in listening to the regulated public. Uh, this, this EPA took issues seriously. They took, you know, the issue of vagueness and the issue of an overreach clearly was at the heart of the kind of outreach they did, uh, something that the last administration didn't take very seriously. Uh, the last administration truly tried to write the term navigable out of the Clean Water Act. And in this administration, I think, started with the statute and then looked at the Supreme Court where they had already ruled. And I think this rule is reflective of the statute and what the Supreme Court has already ruled in terms of what is waters of the U.S. I, I think that's the big key, the big difference, isn't it? This time around, you're actually working with EPA on something rather than against them. Absolutely. And in EPA, this EPA gave everybody the opportunity to do that because their goal was a goal that I think farmers and ranchers can definitely embrace. It is we want to be protective of the resource. Farmers care about their land. They care about their water resources. We want to protect our resources. But they wanted to do so in a way that was, that was within the statute and within what the Supreme Court has already ruled much more so than just trying to write the term navigable out of the Clean Water Act like the last administration did. So public comment period now, right? That is, well, it actually will start once that proposal gets right. put into the Federal Register. It is out for the public to review now. They need to be looking at it, and we're going to be encouraging farmers and ranchers around the country to submit comments. We've got an upcoming annual meeting. It's going to be the American Farm Bureau's 100th. And we're looking to have our members uh, be supportive, and we want to have as many good, positive comments on this regulation as we can. We'll see you at that annual meeting next month and talk more with you at that time. Thanks, Don. Thank you, Mike. Don Parrish, Senior Director, Regulatory Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation, joining us on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything, editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, 
publicity and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that has and sat in your lap in months, and even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff, even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Did you know you can listen to the latest podcast of Adams on Agriculture or hear the top news and weekend review from the American Ag Network on your Amazon Alexa? Play my flash briefing. Use the Alexa app to search for the podcast you want to play. Search for Adams on Agriculture to learn about the issues affecting agriculture each weekday. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Again. Or you can search for the American Ag Network. This is the American Ag Network Week in Review. I'm Sabrina Hill. Stay up to date on agriculture with the sound of your voice on your Amazon device. Okay, men, this is your time. Maybe you didn't choose this, but you're here now. You're gonna go out there and be an all-star caregiver. It's up to you. So what are you gonna do? You're gonna go grocery shopping, cook, clean, be there emotionally and physically. You gotta dig deeper. Drive them to physical therapy, doctor's appointments. Don't you forget about the pharmacy. No, you won't, because that's what caregivers do. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. This is your time to show the world, your family, and yourself that you're tougher than tough. Now go out there and be the best caregiver this world has ever seen. Caregiving is tougher than tough. Find the care guides you need at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. If you suffer from heartburn or other digestive-related disorders, then there is a new, safe, better, and natural alternative to better digestive wellness and heartburn relief. Praxid not only provides relief of heartburn, but Praxid takes a 360-degree approach to support better digestion, protect you from harmful bacteria, and also balance your stomach to improve digestive functions. We like to think of it as the multivitamin of digestive health. It's the only product to combine all natural ingredients known for the digestive health properties into a single patented product. Praxid also comes in easy-to-carry packs. Praxid relieves, restores, and maintains a healthy digestive system. Praxid is available here for only $39.95. Shipping and handling is free, and your money back is guaranteed. To take advantage of this special radio offer, call now, 1-800-829-5705. That's 1-800-829-5705. Again, 1-800-829-5705. 
I can't believe he found them. He seems sorry. We very clearly told him not to look up there. I'm honestly impressed that he was able to do it. Right? What did he balance on that big chair? Or... Yeah, I mean, I guess he'll just know what his gifts are this year. I really thought we had hidden them well. If they can find their presence, they can find a gun. 911, what is your emergency? Every day, eight kids and teens are unintentionally killed or injured by loaded and unlocked guns. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and N Family Fire. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. All right, so we continue to get reaction to the two big stories for agriculture, the Farm Bill and the Waters of the U.S. Rule. Joining us now is Richard Gupton. He is the Senior Vice President, Public Policy and Counsel for the Agricultural Retailers Association. Richard, thanks for joining us. Let's start with the Farm Bill. Seems like uh, ARIA, you have some uh, mixed feelings on the Farm Bill? That's right. I mean, obviously we're pleased that the, uh, the Farm Bill's moved forward. It provides some economic certainty for farmers with a multi-year bill, um, and there's some things in there dealing with conservation programs with the technical service provider programs that will benefit ag retailers as well as make sure there's a strong crop insurance program. But we just felt there's some very major missed opportunities to fix some uh, significant regulatory issues impacting our, our members, our industry, uh, that the Chairman Conway and the House Ag uh, Committee and the House had included in their legislation that should have been in the final proposal uh, that had bipartisan support. So it's kind of, uh, for our perspective, yes, it's glad to get a bill done, but some big, a big miss on some key key provisions. And give us some examples. What are some specific things you would have liked to have seen in here? Sure. Some of the things dealing with, um, because of some court rulings and litigation from 2009, uh, pesticide applicators have to get a National Pollution Discharge Elimination System pesticide general permit for aquatic applications. Um, and, you know, the, the announcement yesterday, we're going to talk about the WOTUS revisions. So the, it, it, it revolves around waters of the U.S. That uh, has caused some uh, cost concerns for the industry, some liability concerns. Um, and so that's a, that was a major issue. It had bipartisan support to fix that. It was not included, um, even though all four primary negotiators had publicly supported it, including uh, Senator Stabenow, when she was chair, um, had supported it in the past. Uh, there was language to have preemption over uh, localities for pesticide bans, you know, to make sure that the decision-making is made by the EPA or the state agency. That was dropped out of the bill. There was provision dropped to provide some regulatory certainty um, on OSHA's process safety management retail exemption uh, that would codify the longstanding definition. Uh, that was dropped or not included in the final conference report. Uh, as you recall back the PSM issue, we had, we had litigation with the previous administration. And then the, the other main thing is the waters of the U.S. You know, there's, uh, again, we're, we're pleased about the EPA's announcement yesterday related to the proposed changes, but the uh, Congress could have had a chance in the Farm Bill to include a repeal, a full repeal of the 2015 uh, waters of the U.S. rule that would have, you know, helped uh, mitigate and, and end some of this litigation and the patchwork of, of jurisdictional issues that's going on right now. Uh, they failed to do that. Uh, so those are some of the key areas that, that was really disappointing of not being included in the final cops agreement. 
talking with Richard Gupton with the Agricultural Retailers Association. So overall, you're glad the the farm bill is moving forward, but uh, disappointed in, in some of those areas that you just mentioned. Now, what about the waters of the U.S. rule? You you mentioned that. Uh, do you think this is a step in the right direction overall? Do you like this new rule? Absolutely. It's a, it's a it's a positive step forward. It provides some more regulatory certainty for farmers, ranchers, and the ag industry. Uh, there's a clear delineation of what's considered the waters of the U.S. and what is not, where, where there's federal jurisdiction under the Clean Water Act and where the states have jurisdiction. Um, and so, you know, the 2015 waters of the U.S. Uh, proposal would have covered basically most of the country, a lot of agricultural production land. This regulation delineates all that and provides clarity that, you know, a ditch near a farming operation is not covered uh, farmland. They don't have to get permitting and other things. Um, there's also specific exemptions listed dealing with prior converted croplands. Um, and so there's a real clear delineation and, you know, so having the farmers and the ag industry know what is considered a, a navigable water, waters of the U.S. and subject to uh, jurisdiction by the federal government and which ones are state. And so this deals with ditches, lakes and ponds, um, adjacent wetlands, for example. So we we're, we think this is a very positive step forward. But, again, the problem is going to be, while this is, uh, proposal is going to be um, open for comment, the litigation will be ongoing. The Congress could have had a chance to fix this with the repeal in the Farm Bill. Chairman Roberts was at the EPA WOTUS uh, announcement yesterday, so this was the number one issue during two years' worth of Farm Bill hearings. Uh, to deal with, yet it wasn't in the Farm Bill Conference Agreement. So what's going to happen is you're still going to have this ongoing litigation as EPA moves forward to make these revisions and still have this uncertainty in place, where, uh, which is going to be unfortunate. But uh, hopefully this will be – it's only a 60-day comment period, um, so they can hopefully expedite a final a new Waters of the United States rule and get this in place, and, um, and that will be a positive step for the industry. Yeah, it seems like the new rule at least makes the attempt at restoring some common sense to uh, what is or what is not uh, a navigable water. I think uh, some things that most of us can just look at and tell. Uh, But as you said, as Congress often does, left the door open that creates some uncertainty, which leads to litigation. That's exactly right. And again, we applaud the Trump administration and an acting administrator, Wheeler, and the Army Corps of Engineers and, and Secretary of Interior, I think he was there as well, um, to and USDA's involvement too, which was which was which was very helpful. And and what it does again, it, it recognizes and respects the responsibilities, primary you know, and authors you know, jurisdiction of the Clean Water Act and what's in navigable water, and also respects states' rights, states uh, to regulate and manage their land and their water resources. So that delineation is, is very important. Um, and it's important for the ag industry to kind of understand what is covered and what's not. And I think that, that's, that you know, it goes back to the key word cooperative federalism as what the, our founding fathers intended for a balance between federal government power and state uh, jurisdictional and having them work in a cooperative way. And this helps reset that balance. Waters, we want clean water. Our farmers uh, try to operate in a safe way and want to leave the land uh, and the water better than when they when they when they received it, and so this uh, this this will not adversely impact water water um, 
uh, in a negative way, but it provides regulatory certainty that while the water of the U.S. and state waters will still be protected with some common sense regulations. All right, Richard, thank you very much, and uh, we'll watch uh, see how this proceeds with Waters of the U.S. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Richard Gupton with the Agricultural Retailers Association. Busy, busy day. We'll see how the House does uh, with the Farm Bill. Their vote have more reaction to Farm Bill. Vote us and more tomorrow here on AOA. Join us on Adams on Agriculture.